What up, everybody? Just a little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available wherever you get your books and ebooks. You can head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, to get 20% off. Go get your copy now. Soon-to-be Saint Charles de Foucauld once said, It is not necessary to teach others to cure them or improve them. It is only necessary to live among them, sharing the human condition and being present to them in love. Welcome to the 124th episode of St. Dimna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that we aren't being called to fix the problems of those suffering around us, only to walk along the journey with them, to be present with them, and to show them compassion. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. I may be too old for TikTok, but one thing I definitely appreciate about the app is that there seems to be uh, a use of it as a place for support for those suffering from substance use disorders, which is amazing. We'll go with SciPost to get some context. Over 20 million Americans suffer from substance use disorders, and there are a number of efficacious treatment options, yet very few of these individuals receive any form of substance abuse treatment said the study author Alex M. Russell, an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas. Thus, there is a need to foster innovative means through which we engage individuals with recovery supportive services. Prior research in other areas has demonstrated that social media posts and exposure can influence health behavior. We were interested in exploring whether a growing popular social media platform like TikTok could be an innovative means through which to study and promote health behavior change with regard to substance use disorder. Russell and colleagues identified 20 keywords associated with substance use disorders and search TikTok using those terms as hashtags. They limited them down to the most popular substance use hashtags like addiction, recovery, sober, and utilized the 100 most liked videos of each hashtag. Next, the videos were coded into recovery-related categories. Demographic information, user sentiment toward recovery, video type, mechanisms of behavior change, and stigmatizing language were all measured. Results show that the most common theme throughout the video was showing a journey from having a substance use disorder to being in recovery, and these videos showed a transformation. Another common theme was sharing recovery milestones, and these videos contained enthusiasm and excitement. The creators of TikTok videos strongly identified as being in recovery and identified social support as a significant factor aiding their recovery. A large portion of videos showed people who chose new activities such as exercise as an alternative to using. A small portion uh, invoked themes of spirituality and faith as tools for recovery. So back to me. We talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of finding support and coping skills outside of the traditional therapeutic setting. And these results from this TikTok study are pretty interesting. It's really cool to see support popping up on social media and especially support that is met with enthusiasm. And I really think it's great to see people finding that community that we all need through this digital media. 
Of course, we have to be careful with the media we consume and not assume that everyone has the best intentions on social media or that we're able to be vulnerable and share our stories with everyone on social media. But it's worth highlighting the positives that have been seen so far and to really encourage all of us to use social media in a positive and uplifting way. The potential to help others is there and we can't let it pass by. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today I'm going to introduce you to Pedro de San Jose Betancourt. Born in 1626 in Spain, Pedro was one of five children, and as a small child, Pedro worked as a shepherd for the family and spent his free time praying in a small nearby cave, just like the rest of us, right? According to Wikipedia, his father's estate was seized by a moneylender in 1638 for failure to pay the family's debt. At age 24, he began to make his way to Guatemala, hoping to connect with a relative working in government service there. By the time he arrived, he was out of money. He was so destitute that he joined the breadline that the Franciscans had established in order to get enough food to survive. According to Franciscan media, Pedro enrolled in the local Jesuit college in hopes of studying for the priesthood. No matter how hard he tried, however, he could not master the material and he withdrew from school. In 16. 55, he joined the secular Franciscan order. Three years later, he opened a hospital for the convalescent poor, a shelter for the homeless, and a school for the poor that soon followed. Not wanting to neglect the rich of Guatemala City, Pedro began walking through their part of town, ringing a bell and inviting them to repent. Pedro is another example of someone who found holiness in the midst of difficulties, suffering from poverty, struggling in school, and overwhelmed by the circumstances in his life. He hung in there and discovered what God wanted him to do. And today, he's ready to intercede for all of us who are struggling and wondering if God has a purpose in our own lives. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. St. Pedro, pray for us that we will generously remember the poor and marginalized in our prayers and material support. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Josh gets us started. How do you move forward after a miscarriage? It's been over a year and I'm still unable to forgive God and I want nothing to do with his church or his people. Let's start by joining in prayer for Josh, his family, his baby, and all of us who are walking through this difficult experience for comfort and community. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First off, I want to say I'm so sorry that you've had to face this experience. I understand the pain. I've been there, and it's a pain that doesn't really go away. It changes over time, but I would never want to lie and say that time heals these wounds. It doesn't, but it does change. Next, I would want to say two things. First, God understands your inability to forgive and wanting nothing to do with the church or Christianity in general. God understands, and it's okay to feel those feelings without judgment being placed on them. It's a part of the grieving process. 
Second, since I know this feeling on a personal level, I can say with confidence that sitting in that space for a prolonged period of time, that space of being angry at God, wanting to toss out the whole faith, toss out praying, toss out believing, it hurts us. I've drifted in and out of this feeling that you're talking about over the last six years since our son died and it ends up leaving me feeling jaded, unable to appreciate the blessings that I do have in my life and leaves me just generally not really being a good person to be around. And that causes me all sorts of other problems. So while these feelings are normal, we do have to do something about them. So let's start with very well family and the impact of a miscarriage first. The emotional effects for both mom and dad, there are significant emotional issues. Clearly the feeling of loss is real for both expectant parents. Having your dreams of having a baby shattered can be a huge blow. You may both feel fearful about becoming pregnant again, not wanting to risk the physical and emotional drain of a miscarriage. The feeling of emptiness a mom experiences is both physical and emotional. There may be feelings of guilt and failure. And there may be a sense of overall depression or discouragement. Spiritual effects. An experience like a miscarriage can cause men to question their faith or stray from their spiritual moorings. They may ask questions like, if there is a God, how could he have let this happen to me and my wife? These kind of questions can have long-lasting implications as you try to reconcile your grief with your belief system. There are relationship effects. You and your partner both need emotional support at this time, and this can lead to stresses on the relationship. It's easy to fall into guilt and blame, and minor irritations and tensions can escalate. The typical male attitude in the face of a crisis is to fix things. That's one of their partner's biggest complaints about them too. But a miscarriage cannot be fixed. There is nothing but time that will heal the scar of the loss of embryonic life. In that light, a father can feel powerless and hopeless to address his own feelings and the sadness experienced by his partner. So now let's look at some coping tips here, huh? You're both likely to experience the five stages of grief. You won't always follow a sequence and each can take a variable length of time resulting in the two of you being in different places emotionally and you'll need to give each other the freedom to experience grief in your own way talk or write it down. Men typically don't talk to other men about their feelings, even in the case of a miscarriage. It's just not their way of grieving or our way of grieving, I guess, right? But some dads have experienced some peace and healing by writing down some of the feelings and uh, giving them life on paper. It can be a very therapeutic thing for a grieving father to do. You may also find value in a support group, a counselor, or a therapist, either together as a couple or individual. So next, support your partner. Your partner will often feel the loss of a child more keenly than you will, so take time to sit with her, hold her, listen to her experience herself. Just being there and supporting her through her grief will really help the process. Get busy. Men will often turn to a project to help assuage the feelings of grief and loss. It's not bad. It's not a bad way to deal with everything that is going on around you. Being busy, but not too busy to, to be supportive to your partner, will help with the passing of time and will focus you in a positive direction. One project to consider is a remembrance project for the last uh, for the lost baby, such as planting a tree or making something that will um, be a tangible memorial. Even taking action such as lighting a birthday candle on the baby's due date or giving to a charity can help work through the grief. And last, don't rush it. A good day can be followed by a bad day. You may think you or your partner are done grieving, but it comes back full force a few days later. And this is natural. And you must give each other all of the time that you need. And back to me, please be assured of our prayers. We will keep praying for you. Linda is up next. Can you talk about coping with 
hypermesis gravitarum. I hope I pronounced that right, Linda. Let's start by praying for Linda and everyone experiencing conditions that make pregnancy difficult for healing and for support. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you for your question, Linda. We always like to start with definitions around here, so we'll go with medlineplus.gov to get us started. Hyperemesis gravidarum, thank goodness it's it's called HG for my sake, is extreme persistent nausea and vomiting during pregnancy. It can lead to dehydration, weight loss, and electrolyte imbalances. According to the Mayo Clinic, symptoms include severe nausea and feeling faint or dizzy when standing. It can also cause persistent vomiting, which can lead to dehydration, as we mentioned. The condition can require hospitalization and treatment with IV fluids and anti-nausea medication. The Mayo Clinic considers this condition rare with fewer than 200,000 U.S cases per year. According to a study by the National Institute of Health, pregnant women with HG appear to be at elevated risk of mental health difficulties during pregnancy, even when the symptoms of HG resolve. The development of a targeted intervention specifically designed to treat mental health difficulties associated with HG is recommended. So back to me, this experience can make what is usually a joyful and exciting time a difficult and stressful time, and as noted, can really take a toll on one's mental health. The ideal would be to connect to a therapist who has background in helping women walking through this journey. But here's some things you can do at home as well. OBGYN Ian Chilcott recommends spend time resting. Easier said than done, but many HG sufferers say they experience fewer symptoms when resting or sleeping. Number two, discover which foods stay down. Forget perfectly balanced nutrition for now. Any food is better than none. HG is renowned for causing weight loss, so your body will thank you for the extra fats from those french fries. Three, Network with other HG moms. It may feel like it, but you're not alone. Talking to other expectant mothers with HG will allow you the space to vent and to make sense of your symptoms. Number four, keep hydrated. Dehydration is very common in HG sufferers, so if there's one thing you do today, pick up your water bottle. If you're unable to keep drinks down, then always speak to your midwife uh, as you might need to go in to get IV fluids, as we mentioned above. Number five, always attend your checkups. It's so important to check in with your midwife regularly not only for the health of you and your little one, but also for the opportunity to spend time with a friendly face and ask questions. And number six, remember to utilize your healthy coping skills to battle against feelings of depression and anxiety. Talk to your support systems. Try to get out for small walks whenever you're able, or just sit in the backyard and try and spend time in the fresh air, read a book, work on a coloring or writing or any other creative activity that you find peaceful. And back to me, please remember that we're praying for you. All right, Ben wraps us up. Could you discuss possible options for overcoming trauma and abuse in the workplace? Let's join in prayer for Ben and everyone who has experienced trauma in the workplace for healing, for justice, and for support. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Thank you so much for this question, Ben, and be assured of the continued prayers of our little community here. Let's start with some thoughts from livingunapologetically.com. First, give yourself space to finally feel everything. 
When you were in crisis mode, you were doing whatever you could to get through it. You weren't in the mental space to be present so you could feel and understand your emotions. Clear all unnecessary events on your calendar to spend time with yourself. You need to process what happened to figure out what you want to do next with a clear mind. This is not a step you want to skip. Mindfulness, meditation, journaling, being active, these type of activities will be your best friend. Seeing a mental health professional is also a great idea. Next is to talk through things with people who get it. Most of us have people who are in our corners, which is important. However, it's crucial to have support from people who understand what you went through on a deeper level. If you experience racial discrimination, connect with people who know that well. If you endured gender discrimination, same thing. Be intentional about this. Sometimes the most well-intentioned people in our lives can unknowingly jab the knife in a little more when they say or do something that adds to the problem. So secure the support that's right for you. Next, figure out which direction you want to go. Once you give yourself space to feel your emotions and connect with the right people, you'll likely be forced with options for next moves, faced with options for next moves. This can look very different for each person. Are you exploring new career paths? Did you notice any unhealthy patterns you want to address? Have you neglected an area in your life? Uh, What stones were left unturned that you want to pay attention to right now? Whatever it is, come up with a plan to commit to a new direction. Next, center on your purpose in life. Workplace trauma can really knock you off your game. You may need to refocus your energy on what's most important to you. If you know your life's purpose, are you living according to that purpose? What else can you do to support your passion? If you don't know it yet, consider spending time exploring this for yourself. And finally, accept that you are in the process of healing. Trauma doesn't go away overnight. Even when you've been doing hard work on yourself, triggers can unexpectedly pop up and remind us of past pain. It's common to go into a new job or situation with worries and fears, even responses that it will happen again. Practice compassion for yourself and your process. Healing takes time. You need to pay attention to your needs and then do what you can to meet your needs. So back to me, it's important to remember, especially in moments of hopelessness, that healing is possible and help is out there. So if you haven't already, consider getting connected to a therapist who can help you as you work through this journey because you deserve it. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves take care of yourselves and if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray don't worry i'll be praying for you and so will saint Diphna.